Welcome to Ag Matters, a podcast where we talk about both matters of agriculture and why agriculture matters. Here's your host, Dr. Amanda Stone, Mississippi State University Assistant Professor and Extension Dairy Specialist. Today, I have Mr. Bradley Taylor with us, who is going to talk about uh, the dairy industry specifically in Mississippi. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, I'm Bradley Taylor, a lifelong dairy farmer. My wife, Carla, and I uh, own and operate Taylor Dairy Farm in Prince County in northeast Mississippi. We have three young sons that are very involved on the farm. Uh, this is an operation that I took over from my parents. We've been at this location since 1977. Our family's been in the beer business since 1966. Um, we have a, we about 100 registered jerseys, and we have a few other breeds in the mix that we've played around with genetically a little bit. Uh, we uh, try to graze most of the year. Uh, our cows always have access to the outdoors, and uh, we uh, just try to stay very involved in the industry through Farm Bureau, through our milk marketing co-op, and uh, through other aspects with youth and our children being involved in 4-H. And um, My wife was raised on a dairy in South Georgia, so we're deeply ingrained in the dairy industry for all our lives. Yes. Well, and we're happy that you are, you and Carla and your kids are involved because you do a lot of, I guess, positive things for the dairy industry, not just in Mississippi, but beyond. So I appreciate you farming, period, but doing the positive things also. And so you're a second generation, I guess you and Carla are second generation dairy farmers. And then um, your kids, we're hoping, will be third generation dairy farmers, right? So have you talked to them about it? (laughs) Well, they definitely love what we're doing. Uh, Of course, they don't uh, get to see the the book work too much to know that we're not we're not doing so great and not making such a great living. So I don't know. Uh-huh. Once they start getting into some of that part of it, they may change their mind a little bit. But uh, I hope it's an industry that we can that we can adapt to and uh, kind of guide in the direction where they will have the opportunities if they choose to do that here in Mississippi or wherever they choose to do it. Yeah, and your kids are so smart like every time I'm around them it amazes me at at how much they know and they ask me hard questions so I know they'll be successful in whatever they do but I do hope they stay in the dairy industry because they're smart so they can do a lot of good things and they get to grow up on a farm which I did not get to do I grew up with horses but not actually even at my house and so I'm always jealous of people who grow up knowing all of that because it's such a great childhood I feel like and and you grew up on a dairy farm yourself so you can talk about it from your standpoint and watching your own kids grow up and so can you talk a little bit about that life you know you know sometimes I and I've talked to people about this I think sometimes I say our kids work too hard they have to work too hard but we're always out together enjoying sometimes some folks might not think it was enjoying it but we're we've been out this morning you know feeding calves and uh Moving some heifers around, moving some grass cows around. We're all out of school this week for Thanksgiving, so uh, it's nice to be here where they don't have to go to a, a babysitter or somewhere else when they're out of school because we're away at jobs somewhere. So it's nice that they can be here and, and interact with us and see what we and, I mean, and know what we do on a daily basis, but be involved in it a little bit more. And uh, you know the work they do and the things they're involved in keeps them keeps them out of trouble. I guess it kept me out of trouble as a kid, too, being uh, 
involved in in things on the farm and knowing that things had to be done on the farm before you could go do something else. You could it wasn't just uh, go do whatever you wanted to do. There were responsibilities that we had to do as when I was a child and, and as my kids also. Uh, but it also brings in some other opportunities through some of the people we're involved in and the organization that we're involved in. Some some people wouldn't believe this, but they get to go a lot of places that a lot of kids wouldn't get to go. And mm-hmm. all this one's checking off states he's been to just with uh, with me to dairy meetings or with car other meetings. Uh, but one of the challenges that does come with that is a lot of times me and Carla don't both get to go together. A lot of folks uh, don't ever see us together anywhere besides us unless they come to the farm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one of the that's one of the family challenges is one of us has always got to be here because of, you know, employees. We do have a couple employees or part-time employees on occasion, not always, but uh, not that can handle everything, not that can handle if something comes up strange. You can't anticipate every little thing that's going to happen over the next few days. So you got to have somebody here that knows what's going on. And now my parents still live right here, but they're getting older and not as involved, and they make it guide someone through a little bit of a problem if we're gone, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of us pretty much has to always be here, and uh, it's uh, that's one of the challenges, but one of the, the great things about kids, is what we were originally talking about, I think, mm-hmm. was that they do get to go places and meet people throughout the industry, and get to go to cow shows and other places, and I sit on the Jersey Association board, so one of them each year gets to go to lead to the uh, Jersey Association annual meeting, which is at a different place around the country each year, and just uh, look forward to meeting their friends, seeing their friends from around the country that they've met on previous trips. I mean, I could see them a time or two a year. That's just some of the great things that's, that's about this that uh, sometimes we forget when it's a challenging time that how much we have uh, to the people we've met and the things we've got to enjoy because of what we do. Right. And the support, I guess group of the dairy industry and, and the show industry is, is an example of the where we get to see it, I guess, where you go to shows and you see all of the kids playing and all of the parents, even though they're competing against each other in the show ring, but they are all so close and they're all friends. And, you know, from show to show, they may not talk to each other or see each other because they're in different parts of the state or even different parts of the nation. And then they come together and everybody's just helping each other and taking care of each other. And it's a really cool industry that you get to see that happen. Yeah, I mean, you interact with kids that may be doing the same thing on a daily basis or they're doing at home. That kids at school aren't like that. Kids at school don't understand what we do. There's, uh-huh. uh, there's no other, obviously no other kids at school that come from a dairy family. Um, when I was a kid, I think there was one other family that uh, dairied that I went to school with my whole first 12 years of school but um you know it, it's nowadays we're the only dairy in this county there's not a dairy in the surrounding county even in most dairies in the north part of the state are the only dairy in their county and the only dairy within 50 or 60 miles in most cases and uh so they don't get to see my kids don't get to see other kids that uh, live the same kind of life that they do, so when they do get to see them, it's, it's really nice, and they, it's nice for us, too, to get to see somebody. Used to, when I was a kid, I remember going to the feed store in Baldwin or something, and you meet up with two or three dairy farmers there back when there was 20 dairy farms in Prentice County and 20 in Lee County, and uh, you met up with other people on a daily basis that done what you've done. Now it's, uh, 
you don't do that. You don't see them personally. You have to. You got to go somewhere on a trip almost to see people that do what you do on a daily basis. And uh, that, that, that takes its toll on us a little bit, I guess, by having that interaction with people that uh, live the same kind of life we do on a daily basis. Uh, but uh, you know, it's thank goodness for social media now because you can interact with those people every day. Uh, so around the world that do what you do. So that's a, right. one of the great things about Facebook, I guess. Yeah. Well, and so I guess that's, I guess, hinting at one of the challenges of dairying, not even just in Mississippi, but everywhere now is that we are losing so many farms um, for a, a multitude of, of reasons that we can go into um, your perspective of why we're losing them. But it creates a lot of issues beyond just having less family farms around, right? So what? why do you think we are losing farms, and what do you think is happening as a result of us losing them? Well, the reason we're losing them, I mean, it comes down to, the, I guess, the, the simple answer is money. Um, there's not enough income to support what it takes to run it anymore. Uh, a lot of people will say, oh, nobody wants to work seven days a week. Nobody wants to do all this. People don't mind working. There's a lot of people that don't mind working seven days a week, don't mind the long hour days. Even a good friend of mine in North Carolina, Carolina used to say, you know, I can have fun dairy farming and break when I'm breaking even. He said, but after you lose money for so long, it's what it takes the fun out of it and it takes the joy out of it. And that's what's got people away. You know, they can, if you'll make money for three or four years, you can probably stand to lose money for a year. We're in a cycle now where it was break even for two or three years, lose money for two or three years. We're just in a, about a five year long cycle now of just, we haven't got that year in there that helped us catch back up and that's been one of the big reasons we've we've lost a lot of dairies oh you go back to when maybe if you go back 20 years some of it was people just didn't want that that lifestyle and maybe that's some of it and some of the people we have left now what are we down to 70 years in mississippi most of them are they're going to do it till they just absolutely can't do it anymore because they love doing it so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not in it to get rich. They're not in it. They just they just want to make a decent living, um, and you know, raise their kids in the, the way we've talked about earlier. And um, it's that's what really the challenge comes down to is if people could make enough money, they would keep doing it. Um, but, you know, other challenges is. Um, you think about what the increase in cost of everything has been in the last ever how many years you want to pick out. If you want to pick out 10 years or 50 years. And a lot of things I see go back to the late 70s. They'll say, here's what milk was made in the late 70s. It's not much more than that today. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you compare the input cost from those times to now, it is absolutely just drastic what the increase have been, has been. I remember I got out of college in 2000, come on, started handling the money. I was already kind of managing the cows. Uh, but uh, and I remember we were getting feed from a feed store and a, a feed meal there in town, locally on feed meal. They built six, eight tons out at a time. And I remember putting up grant some bins where I could get 18 we were loaded at a time. And the cost savings that day, man, I've got this thing figured out. I'm saving $40 to on feed, 
and that was great for a year or two there. I was getting buying some really good dairy feed for 150 to 155 dollars a ton. Nowadays, a feed that uh, comparable to that is going to cost us over 300 dollars a ton. Mm-hmm. At that time, I could buy that feed at 150 some dollars a ton and make uh, make profitable milk at 15, 16 dollars. And today we're even with increased butter fat and increased everything we've increased by genetics and uh, and better forages, we're still, you know, at twenty dollars a hundred, barely getting over twenty dollars a hundred from milk and some comparable feed costing three hundred and some dollars a ton just from the, the concentrate standpoint of, of our ration. And you know, it's one thing doubles and we go up uh, 20% on income. That don't mm-hmm. you do that on enough different input costs that eventually just you got to cut, cut, cut somewhere else, and uh, you just you run out of places to cut. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a challenge of what, what to do next, what to cut next. Can we figure out a way to improve income somehow? You know, it's just uh, some folks in Mississippi started doing some farm processing, which Sounds great from one standpoint, and some of them have been very successful at it. Mm-hmm. Just admire the way they do, but it takes another. It takes a dedicated person just doing the process. And then you gotta, you got to deliver it. You gotta sell it. You gotta. When you put it in the bottle, you're not done. There's still or make cheese out of it or whatever. You still gotta move it. You mm-hmm. still gotta. All that still has to be done. So, I like to think right now that we we thought about doing that, but uh, I love to see that you know, get on that truck every two days and leave and. I know I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I'm going to get a check for it. I don't know how good the check's going to be. But, uh, right. Well, because you don't have any control in it. And I think that's something that uh, non-ag people and even some people within ag but different industries probably don't really fully grasp is that we – as dairy producers sell milk to a cooperative, a milk cooperative that is farmer owned, um, and we'll put that in quotes, um, but that you don't have a say in what that price is and that it's partly determined by the government and what's going on internationally. And there's so many different factors that go into it. And I'm not going to ask you to give us a, a lesson on um, milk pricing because <laughs> no one really wants to hear that. But you don't have a say in it is what I'm trying to get at. So what people are paying at the grocery store is not what you are receiving. Right. There's so many factors that's figured in the milk price and a bunch of crazy formulas and, and different costs that are figured into it. And, you know, it comes down to milk is a perishable product that has to move. It has to keep going. Um, as opposed to other commodities such as grain, corn, soybeans, you can you can put in the bin and kind of wait till a better time of the year to sell. Or um, you know, milk has to move; it has to go every two days. It leaves our farm. I think we can hold up to three days is the legal limit in Mississippi that you can hold it. But it's got to get to the processor. It's got to get processed. It has to keep moving. And if there's an overproduction of it, that plays into the price of it. Also, we. Yeah, when that milk gets on that truck, we don't know what we're going to get paid for it. It's mm-hmm. um, it, it's uh, it has to keep moving, and there's so many other factors that figure into it. It's uh, a lot of folks, uh, I guess, good business people would look at that and say, "Well, why would you sell a product you don't know what you're getting for?" Mm-hmm. But um, that's the way the dairy industry has evolved over years. Through, I was in a meeting last Friday with just talking about proposals that have been put forward to change milk pricing 
into different ways, and it gets it's so confusing even for someone that does it every day. It's so many different factors involved that are just beyond our control. And then if you want to change any of it, you got to get all the dairy farmers in the country to agree to change it, and that's mm-hmm. that's tough because what's good for one region may not be good for another region. So, uh-huh. sure. It, uh huh. Sure. Well, and there's a lot that that dairy farmers can't control within their industry or or business, if you will, because they pricing is one we talked about. But you also can't control the weather, right, which has a a large effect on the crops, which change price, which change what you can feed your animals. Um, You don't have control on other aspects of the industry on who is coming in from infrastructure or who's leaving. And here, um, I think something that affects us, I guess, in the southeast more so than other places, is that when one producer goes out of business, that actually affects everybody else near them because they the haulers have to travel further, right? So you're saying that you're the only only one, I guess not only one, but one of the few left in the northern part of Mississippi. So have you seen that through your time that you, that that's a struggle for you also? Yeah, it used to, you know, a tanker truck to fill up to five or six different farms here within, you know, 20 miles and fill up and, and go to, when I was a kid, go to the barber's tent in Tupelo uh, and run away 30 miles from here. Now, there's no barber's plant in Tupelo, the only milk plants. Uh, the closest milk plants, Memphis, Tazeesco, Mississippi, um, different places, depending on where milk has to go. Birmingham, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Hammond, Louisiana is the kind of the conference around here where milk goes to. Uh, it's a long way to those places. It's 300 miles to Hattiesburg for me. It's uh, 350 miles to Hammond, Louisiana. I'm only 100 and 20 miles back to Memphis, but that milk's almost moving in a direction that you don't want milk to move because milk's kind of flowing southeasterly to get into the deficit area, so milk moving back that direction don't make as much sense. But um, now the stop before the truck comes to pick my milk up is 80 miles away over in the edge of Alabama. He comes to me, and he leaves and goes 75 miles to pick up the next guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... These were actually getting to where the first scenario I gave of when it was local here, the guy was probably not traveling hundreds, definitely not over 200 total from the time he left his driveway till he was back home, parts for the night. Um, now it's, I think my my truck driver is, um, he's probably in that eight to 900 mile range before he's back from his door, from his door back to his door. Mm-hmm. Which and differs so, from other places, though, right? like Pennsylvania, where I'm from, or if you look at Wisconsin, and there's, you know, they can go down one single road and pick up six different farms, and so they don't have to travel as far. Which, from from their perspective, makes a lot of sense, right? Because they're using less fuel and less labor, um, but it puts people here in a, a bad position because we want family farms. Like there's not anybody out there saying that they do not want small family farms, but it makes it, it difficult. Yes, definitely. Um, it just, that trucker's going to get paid for all those miles. He's got to do it. Uh, he's not going to drive that truck and can't pay for that truck. If he's not, he'll park that truck if it's not making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, the other day I told someone, most people don't operate any kind of business without and continuously lose money. Us as dairy farmers seem to be the ones that keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and we are, you know, our own worst enemy in a lot of cases because we have these farmer-owned co-ops 
sometimes, uh, as the, some other management might have tried to run them as a business, which seemed like a good idea at the time, which we have to remember those co-ops are, uh, they're co-ops, they're not just businesses. They have to, they need to uh, not necessarily let certain growth happen in certain places. And um, maybe I'm getting off the subject here a little bit. But, um, <laughs> no, you're, you're perfect. We want to talk about it all. Yeah, um, but, uh, you know, growth, as far as all these farms disappearing, we still have the same number of cows or even fewer cows than we did several years ago with increases in production. That's what pushes the price down a little. So how do you tell your neighbor or somebody in another state they can't grow mm-hmm. when if, if they want to, they can. Uh, it's, you know, this is a free country. I guess they feel like they can't grow, they can grow, even uh-huh. though it may overproduce and then may hurt the price of some more people, but uh, I feel like that's what they need to do, and in turn the price may go down a little, and then you have a really good crop here, and everybody makes a lot of milk and uh, from really good forages, and maybe all the grain crops were really good too, so feed that kind of cheap that year, so what does everybody do? They, they those cows just start, they start eating good forage and, and grain sticks and pop a little bit of grain to them, in their ration, and you start getting a little bit more milk, and what do you know, all of a sudden, that way more milk than you know what to do with, mm-hmm. and you push the price down, and we're all in trouble again. It's just, mm-hmm. we go in a lot of cycles, uh, and I remember when I was at Mississippi State in the late 90s, there could be a perfect cycles that he'd printed out from over the years, and back then there were short cycles. You have a year, maybe a year on the low lower end of the cycle and go back up for a couple of years maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember somebody saying back then the lows are going to stay longer and the highs will last less time. That's exactly what's happened now. We've been at a low for, for five years now. And, uh, right, and another low was not that far behind that low. Right, so. yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, people talk <laughs> yeah, about... Two years ago, the worst year we've ever had in the industry, right. we thought. But, uh, 2009. Yeah, 2009 was terrible and, and we talked, yeah. everyone within the dairy industry talks about 2009 like it was so so terrible because it really was and anybody who was going through any part of the dairy industry during that time knows how devastating that year was I mean it was it was terrible and people who survived that not even just from a business sense but we also had a, a mental health talk on this podcast a few weeks ago also that we talked about the toll that farming can take on you from a a mental health standpoint. And 2009 was a a high suicide rate within the the dairy industry because it was so terrible also. But um, now I want to say that this this time is actually worse or becoming worse because, like you said, it's four or five years that have been consecutive and, and there's no real end in sight. Like after 2009, we we were able to recover and we had a couple good years and then we fell again. But I mean, I don't know when it's going to improve at this point. And that's the the scary thing. It's, um, you know, you go back to 2010 when things had got a little bit better. I remember going to my milk co-op meeting and the enthusiasm that was there to try to fix what caused 2009 was there. It was like everybody wanted to work together to make sure that didn't mm-hmm. happen again. But things continued to get better, and we came up with a record of milk prices up to about 2014. Folks forgot we needed to fix it. 
Uh-huh. They forgot 2009 during 2013-14, right in there. It got pretty good. and uh, It was just uh, they forgot we needed to fix the problem, and we fell back down a little in 15-16. They thought, oh, this ain't going to last, but it has. It's just lasted and lasted and lasted. And I don't know. We had not got back to that point of 2010 yet where everybody said, hey, we got to fix it where that don't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got enough folks out there that are making a little bit of money per hundred weight, so they're just making a lot more out of you. They used to say, uh, uh, we'll go back to some older extinction people. We'll just say they're all dead now just to protect everybody. <laughs> um, but used to say, uh, you say when milk prices are low, you milk more cows. And when milk prices are high, you milk more cows. Uh-huh. Well, that's what that's, that's what got us into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if milk prices are low, you're not making as much money for 100 bucks. So you need to make more 100 bucks. Milk prices are high. If you're making money, let's, let's make more money if we're making money. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what pushed this industry into, into this just growth phase that, that don't quit. Either when things are good, they don't quit. When things are bad, they don't quit. Seems like we're almost getting some berries out there now in other parts of the country that are just getting to the point of too big to fail. The banks mm-hmm. are so deep with them, they can't let them fail. They have to just keep letting them go. And the sell them up for another 1,000 cows or another 2,000 cows will make more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the bank, seems mm-hmm. to agree with them. They're, they're good at. at, at they're big business plans, and those people are not what most people in Mississippi milk cows because they enjoyed that life. They enjoyed working with cows and and things I explained earlier, but now you've got great business minds mm-hmm. running a dairy that never get any county on them whatsoever. They're business people, they're computer people, they're office people. They are, they know how to manage people. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're they're doing a really good job at what they're doing, and that's uh, they are they hire people that are that specialize in certain things. They got mm-hmm. one guy that sees the calves and oversees the calf raising, and you know, and, and I've, I've found those large farms that do an awesome job. Mm-hmm. But uh, right, it's it's a different life than what I ever envisioned doing. And it is. Well, and it's and that's what you were alluding to earlier is that making decisions within a whole industry like the dairy industry is so difficult because everybody is so different. Like there's such a spectrum from, you know, just backyard farmers to people doing their own processing and selling their own milk to farmers like you milking about 100 cows to farmers milking thousands of cows. And so it's really difficult to find what work like there I would say it's impossible actually to find something that's going to work for everybody across the the board but then you get to the situation for our you know our our legislators and the government and and really everybody involved in making these hard decisions that who do you pick to support right like we go to meetings and I work for Mississippi State and I get to know all of you Mississippi dairy producers well so I'm always going to go to bat for you because I care about you on a personal level but I go to other meetings and I you know I see people saying from larger farms is saying maybe you know like we need to keep growing and growing and in the back of my mind and sometimes out loud probably 
not politically correctly, <laughs> I say, you know, but we're going to put these people out of business and they, you know, this is their lives we're talking about. This isn't just something that they're doing because they feel like working 24-7 for the rest of their lives. And, and it's really, it's difficult to watch, I think, from the outside looking into the industry, but I can't imagine what it feels like for all of you actually when your your livelihood depends on it. Yeah, so definitely challenging to, to, to look at that in the industry. You've grown, we've seen it change a little, but it seems like in the last few years it's just changing drastically. Uh, we seem to have the the mentality seems to be within the industry, get big or get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the people that that seem to show mentality would say that's not what they're doing, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is. Uh, you've got vendors that you know they want to uh, they want that so that ten thousand cow dairy. Mm-hmm. You know they don't. You know they want my business in a hundred cow dairy, but they're not going to spend a lot of time trying to get it. They're not going to compete to get my business as much as they are that 10,000-gal dairy. And when you start talking about the economies of scale on those big dairies, and it's amazing how cheap they get some things on a per-unit basis compared to what I can get it for. Mm-hmm. So it just continuously encourages that growth. It's just for every time they save that I don't get to save, is that much more they're going to put into producing more product mm-hmm. that's, that's going to, you know, those trucks are going to that one farm to pick it up. You know, you can get truckers on that end competing to haul it, you know, off that one dairy. You've got feed companies competing, uh, AI companies competing, and just the savings of what those guys buy stuff for on a per unit basis is just mind blowing compared to what we have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just, and it's, you know, that's not just in the dairy industry. Probably. I mean, that's why sure. you've got great friends that own a hardware store that, you know, about the same things of these big box stores just. You know, they buy so much more stuff and people compete to get the business of, of Lowe's or Home Depot and mm-hmm. they have to pay a lot more on a per unit basis to get it. Yeah, well, and that's why you see a lot more Walmarts and Lowe's and Home Depots around than you do the mom and pop stores because it is, it's hard to stay in business when you're you're right. just like that. But, um, but there... Uh, in an ideal world, right? Like in my optimistic mind, I, I want there to be a place for all farms because like you said, there are some really, really well-run large dairies that are, are doing spectacular things for the industry and providing a, a safe and nutritious food supply for people to eat or drink. Um, but I want everybody to have a place and that's becoming more and more, more and more difficult in this industry. Um, and I don't want to get too political about it, um, but I think part of that is becoming harder um, from a tariff perspective. So do you know a little bit about that, that you can touch on, on those challenges that have been going on lately? You know, we, we've, um, Mexico is our number one dairy uh, purchaser. Uh, it's our number one export of where we go to with our dairy products. And in the last year, year and a half, they've not been as comfortable with us and have tried to find some other sources and to buy their products. And we've uh, was in Washington a couple times earlier this year trying to encourage Congress to get the USMCA agreement passed. Uh, we think Mexico would be a little bit more comfortable buying from us if we did have a long-term agreement with them, but they have been a little bit uh, hesitant 
to making long-term agreements with us. Uh, Canada got blamed on a lot in that process that I'm not convinced Canada was really a, a problem with or putting some stuff on the world market at a little under price, but they put so little out there because they are under a quota system mm-hmm. up there, and uh, they got blamed on some stuff that didn't. But we need to be selling product. Six, we're around, I think we're down to 14% of our product right now is getting exported of the dairy products in the United States, and we've been up as high as 17 and that, that percentage in there, one percent difference makes a huge, huge difference mm-hmm. in what it is for the price of milk. And when Mexico does not make a long-term agreement, it gets some people a little a little nervous as to what's going on in the future. So milk prices tend to go down. The futures start to go down a little. And um, I think since, uh, since the first of the year when some tariffs were were put on, uh, we started, we lost, uh, the futures went down about $2 a hundred weight. And we've got a little, you know, supposed to be getting a little bit of a check here in the next few days. Milk price goes down, uh, uh, you know, a good percentage and we get tossed a couple of hundred bucks or maybe a thousand or a little more sometimes to, uh, offset a loss that looks like it was going to figure up in the tens of thousands of dollars. But it uh-huh. sounds really great when you say, I'm giving farmers $14.2 billion. That's great. But when you divide that out amongst everybody that that lost money because of tariffs mm-hmm. or trades that didn't happen because of tariffs, it really, it's not much back on what you lost. And uh, that might make some people mad there, but that's, uh, that's just the way it is. And I hope people are right that one day this is going to all work out and, we're going to all be better off, but I don't know what these people are going to do in the meantime that lost their farm or or didn't get to keep going because because of the short-term deal. We're, the dairy industry, you, you, can't, you can't let it let somebody drown and say, well, it's going to be great when I finally do pull them out. Mm-hmm. You know, that ain't, <laughs> they're going to be drowned at that point. You got to get them out sure. then. There's sure. no, it's got to be a quicker term than what we're looking at with some of this stuff. And right. When the drowning is a really good metaphor because that is basically what's happening, unfortunately. You mentioned the Canadian quota system, and so I just want to clarify for people who are listening that the the quota system that Canada has and and the European Union used to have, now they are on the free market. Um, But the quota system, basically you purchase – an amount of milk that you're allowed to sell, if you will, or purchase a purchase a number of cows that you're allowed to have. And so they have whatever their quota, each farmer has a quota that they're allowed to produce that amount. Um, and so they just stay at that level. They're not trying to grow bigger, right? They're just trying to produce enough to sustain Canada and whatever exports they, they want to have as a country. So you can purchase more if you want to grow bigger, but there's really not a huge incentive to do that. Whereas in the U.S., there's a large incentive to produce more because you need to make more money. So it's a little bit of a different, well, it's a lot of bit of a different <laughs> system than, than it is here. Um, so let's kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, I said I was going to start with this, but we got into, <laughs> into the challenges first of kind of what it looks like to be a dairy farmer. So can you kind of walk me through what a day a normal day for you looks like which I know isn't always going to be the same but can you tell everybody a little bit about what goes on on the farm well yeah and you know and every day farm's a little bit different but pretty much something 
every dairy farm has to do. Obviously, the cows have to be milked. Uh, we milk twice a day, so every 12 hours we're milking cows. We milk cows for about two hours, two times a day, and, you know, that comes with the, that's just the milking part on our farm here. Some some farms milk uh, can milk more cows quicker than some farms. It's all depending on their setup. Um you, you know, and then everything has to be cleaned afterwards. All that's just the general type stuff that has to be done every day. Cows have to be fed. We feed milk cows twice a day, so someone else has got a tractor out and to feed and putting out feed while someone's milking. We have young stock that has to be fed. Our young stock only gets fed once a day here, uh, and we graze a lot of those. So in the summer, we're not really uh, it's not real time consuming feeding young stock or dry cows. Um, they get fed grain once a day in their own grass, and, and in the wintertime, uh, when we don't have grazing, uh, we, we do feed hay, and we just feed round bales and rings. And we, in this part of the country, that's pretty much what you'll see a lot of times, is uh, just basically getting getting things fed and milked on a daily basis, of course, taking care of any uh, sick animals can be time-consuming if there happens to be a sick animal or two on the farm. Uh, so... Um, you know, then the young stock is extremely young stock or, or calf bottle fed, so they're getting fed twice a day. We we normally do that right after milking. Uh, so you can milk, you're going to milk approximately 12 hours apart every day and you want to keep it pretty consistent. So you can take your time, and one of the times it's going to be a time nobody wants to do it. Um, we milk at... Uh, we milk at 5 in the morning and 4 in the evening. Actually, we're not right on the 12 and 12 schedule just because to try to make it a little easier on us. Um, but, you know, when you think about getting your milkings that far apart, one of those times is going to be inconvenient. If you want to do it early enough, get to a ball with the kids balling in at night or something like that, or you're, you're going to be milking extremely early in the morning if you want to milk that early in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the summertime, Putting up high crops and stuff like that takes up most of your day. Uh, or the people that's doing row crop work to raise corn silage, would, um, that would take up their summer times. Uh, any time that's not spent doing that in the summer. Uh, winter times, pretty much, it just seems like it takes us longer to get stuff done in the winter time because we're always fighting the rain or the mud or something. Uh, and, of course, it seems like there's something that needs repaired every day, too, Something that needs changed out, and then uh, there's the business end of things you got to take care of. Um, that's you know a few an hour a day or a few minutes a day, depending or a few hours every every now and then. Um, you got to take care of that part, and um, of course, then you got your family life. You got to work into weave into that somehow. Keeping it all woven together sometimes is. That's really a challenge. Yeah, no, and okay. and what you commented on earlier, and in, in saying that you know you you do get to raise your family basically on the farm with you is is kind of well, it, it is a great thing, but it's kind of the opposite also of of what also happens by being a dairy farmer is that, and you mentioned it just a couple seconds ago, and that you don't get to go to t-ball games or you don't get to go to after-school activities or you don't get to go have lunch with your kids or, or anything like that because you are stuck on the farm almost all the time. And I think that's something that is has got to be a struggle. Like, I'm very lucky that I get to have a, a job that's relatively flexible and I get to, to be with my kids in that aspect, but they go to daycare every day too, so I don't get to see them from 
from that perspective. Um, so I guess there's pros and cons to each of them, but that's something that I think, I guess, non-ag people don't really realize is that dairy farmers don't get a day off, right? Like unless they have workers and they're they're large enough to be able to afford that. But even if they have workers, they still have to be on call and be able to help. And they don't get to go and just have a family vacation. They don't get to spend Christmas with family from out of state or anything like that. And, and you know, most, I would dare say probably all kids that grow up on a dairy farm, um, you know, you, you know, you don't open your Christmas presents until your cows are fed and, and milked and taken care of. And you don't get to go have a birthday party every, every time that it's your birthday. Right. So I think there's a lot of struggles that you might not mention deeply because dairy farmers are, are very humble people <laughs> and don't like to complain a lot. Um, but there's a lot of things that I think are struggles that people should be aware of that they don't realize that it's not this idealistic um, life at all times. It, there are, it comes with a lot of struggles that are important for people to know. Yeah, and some of those I don't understand because it's the way I grew up. So there's some of the things that I don't even know we're missing that we're missing. So. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that I, I've never thought about it that way, but that does actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being on with me. All right. Thank you for the opportunity. So that's it for this episode. Um, Make sure you like and subscribe and tune in next time. Ag Matters is produced and supported by the Mississippi State University Extension Service.